Hey everyone, and welcome to the Random Wellness Podcast with Nicole Van Quatham. This podcast shares helpful tips, real stories, and honest conversations about holistic nutrition, natural living, movement, and everything in between to help you uplevel your health, life, and mindset. The goal of this podcast is to help individuals realize that with simple changes, they too can live a happier, healthier, and more balanced life. I'm your host, Nicole Van Quatham, holistic nutritionist and owner of Simply Nick Nutrition. Thanks for tuning in, and I hope you enjoy this episode. Hello, everyone, and welcome back to the Random Wellness Podcast with myself, Nicole Van Quatham. I am super excited because I have an amazing guest today who I know you will love and learn a lot from. So I'd like to welcome Brooke Honadel, who is a sleep consultant based out of London, Ontario, Canada. Uh, Welcome to the podcast. Thank you so much, Nicole. I appreciate you having me on here. I'm happy to chat with you today. Yeah, of course. I'm trying to think of we actually met in London, but we're both Tulsenburg girls, which is kind of funny. Yeah, it is. Small town girls meeting in the city. There yeah, I remember when you walked into the room and I was like, I know her and I don't <laughs> know why. And I think I was just staring at you and you're probably like, what is going on with this girl? Then I finally put two and two together. And I'm like, oh, she's from Tulsenburg. Yeah, that's so funny. Because naturally, you know everyone from a small town. So <laughs> yeah, it's true. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> well, thank you for having me today. I'm looking forward to, to chatting. Well, maybe we can start off if, if you could share a little bit about yourself and how you got into sleep consulting and what that kind of entails. Because I don't think a lot of people are even aware that there are sleep consultants out there and how much they can really help people. Yeah, I would agree with you. I feel that it's a fairly new field, um, which really sleep as a science is kind of uh, new um, as an area of study. So it makes sense that, you know, people helping with sleep is fairly new as well. So yeah, yeah. I got into it um, with my firstborn, actually. she um, I worked a very different career. I had a, a degree in something completely separate. And um, after I had my first child, um, you know, you expect that your sleep's maybe going to be off for a little while. Um, but they don't kind of prepare you for how hard and how much of a toll that's going to take on your own mental and physical health. And um, unfortunately, after we had welcomed my beautiful little girl home and our whole world changed for the better, my husband broke his leg when she was about four months old. And that combined with the fact that she was waking up, you know, what, 10 times a night and we were, you know, lacking on sleep. Um, And I ended up taking care of, you know, two babies, one quite a bit bigger and needing almost more help than the other one. Um, I I met my breaking point and I remember very clearly one night sitting, it was at my in-laws and I felt like it was the 10th time I had woken up that night. And I remember holding her and I had just fed her again and she had fallen asleep in my arms. And I remember holding her and just kind of bouncing her and waiting until she was really asleep before I put her down. Um, And I remember looking over at my husband and thinking, oh, I'm so excited to go back to sleep. You know, he was sound asleep beside me. And um, all of a sudden her eyes popped open and all I could do in that moment was drop her and I let her go. And she fell about an inch onto my breastfeeding pillow, onto another pillow on the bed, you know, by no means was she hurt, but I just remember that loss and that helpless feeling in that moment. And, you know, my husband had woke up because obviously I was crying and, and really frustrated. And we both knew in that moment that I needed help and I needed a change. And after that, I was able to, you know, do some research, put my own plan together, figure out what I needed to do. And with that experience, I learned that all of her sleep issues were behavioral in nature. They were all habits. 
and behaviors that we had formed over the previous, you know, five months of life with, you know, mine was nursing to sleep, but there's so many other things that we do kind of to help our kids fall asleep. And once I was able to adjust those behaviors and habits, she started to sleep beautifully. And Mm -hmm. now I always kind of compare that to falling in love with sleep. You know, as adults, we love to sleep. Um, At least most of us do. Um, Yeah, exactly. And our kids do too. But a lot of times, they just don't have the skills. Sleep is very much a skill, just like riding a bike or learning how to swim. You know, you, you have to do some hard things to learn. And then once you learn it, you never really forget, right? You might get a little rusty, but it's always something that you hold on to as a skill. So um, that really was a huge epiphany for me. And what I found was really frustrating was in my um, sleep deprivation and in my horrible state that I was in, um, there was a lot of misinformation online, you know, just like anything. I know what you do, so I'm sure oh, you yeah. <laughs> right? you you Google something and you find a bunch of opinions and it's not science-based or even sometimes they claim it is, but it's not, you know, good based on good research. And uh, I felt the same. I, I had this calling that, um, you know, I just needed to inform other parents and other women and other, you know, not just women, but people that sleep is something that can be fixed. So I started off working with kids because obviously that's what, you know, I kind of started off with myself. Um, And then within a couple of years, I quickly moved into working with adults as well, because again, when it comes to adults, most of our problems are behavioral in nature. So of course, you know, we know about sleep apnea, um, restless leg syndrome. There are definitely some, um, you know, diagnosis that lead to sleep disorders. Um, But most of us, it's behavioral in nature. So with behaviors, it can be adjusted. And I'm not saying it's easy always, um, because with anything, if you go on a diet or change your exercise regime, it's hard because it's change. But the nice thing is it with the work that we put into it, we can improve our state. And then the better part is that with adults, a lot of us um, didn't know what to or don't know what to do. So of course we go to our doctor and we go and say we have sleep issues and you know our doctors here in Canada are wonderful, but they're short on resources as well. So sometimes what's happening is they are prescribing sleeping pills. And sleeping pills are okay for short-term use, but when we get into the long-term use of sleeping pills, there's actually some health concerns associated with them. And that was really what inspired me to work so hard to, um, you know, become certified and work with adults because I was really sad that people were having to turn to sleeping pills when they just need to make a few lifestyle changes to improve their sleep. So that's kind of how I got into it. Um, I started my business in 2015 and have been helping people ever ever since. And it's really rewarding because people love me, obviously, after they've been uh, learning to sleep a little bit better because it just improves everything. It improves our mood, it improves our health. You know, it just gives us the energy we need to kind of tackle the, the craziness of life as we know it. So yeah, that's how I got into it. Amazing. Well, thank you so much for sharing. And that is so interesting. And I remember when we spoke earlier, we, you were talking about the behavioral aspect of sleep, which I mean, I know, of course, like through nutrition, there's things you can do in terms of lifestyle and eating that can help support better sleep. But I didn't realize how much really came down to human behavior in terms of improving, you know, quality of sleep. And that it's also the same for children. So it's kind of funny that, you know, both children and adults have these behaviors that might be preventing them from 
getting good sleep. Yeah, exactly. And you know, of course, you can assume that the approach would be very different because what we're dealing yes, with kids yeah, versus yeah. adults. But yeah, exactly. It's all it all boils down, or most of it boils down to behaviors. So, um, yeah, which is the good news, right? It's it's nice. It's relieving for people to know that they don't have a medical issue with their sleep that it can be solved. And you know, that's why I call my talk "Solve Your Sleep" because that's really what we're trying to do. We're trying to get to the bottom of what is the issue that's preventing you from sleeping well. And, you know, as we age and things, there's certainly things that go against us. Um, when we get into kind of the elderly years of our life, we don't need as much sleep. You know, when you compare to a newborn baby or even an infant where they need 14 to 18 hours of sleep, as seniors, we just don't need as much sleep or as much deep sleep because in those deep stages of sleep, that's when our memory formation is happening our, you know, and all those great processes. So of course, as adults, or sorry, senior adults, we're not learning as much, we're not needing to retain as much. So, you know, there's certainly different shifts um, throughout our life. Um, even in our teenage years, um, it's nice to kind of point out that, you know, you hear of kind of the quote unquote lazy teenager and, right. you know, they, they sleep in all the time, they're tired all the time. And unfortunately, what happens is as we enter those, um, you know, pubescent years and our body is starting to change, our circadian rhythm, our body clock actually shifts and it can be one to two hours later. So if, you know, normally your child's been falling asleep at say eight, nine o'clock, um, and then they're starting to hit puberty, they're naturally not going to be tired until closer to say like 11 p.m. And then the issue is they still need as much sleep. It's not that all of a sudden they don't need the sleep, but with our school system, as you know, they start really early. So we have a lot of teenagers that are walking around like zombies because physically they're not tired enough to fall asleep till 11, 12 p.m., but they still have to be up by 6 a.m. to get to school. So it's really, uh, you know, it's really interesting how our sleep needs change throughout the years. And then it kind of levels back out around, you know, our mid twenties where we kind of go back to a normal um, body clock. But yeah, there's so many changes that can make it hard too. And, you know, information is power as we know. So it's nice to, you know, kind of educate people so they understand what's going on and the explanation behind it. Absolutely. Because I myself did not realize that with teenagers, as well as senior adults. So that's really interesting how that changes throughout our life. Um, I know we're gonna speak to some of the, I guess, habits and behaviors mm. that adults can change uh, in regards to sleep, but I'm curious to know what that's like for you know infants and children that you work with. Mm -hmm. Yeah, so I would say with the kids, so I work with kind of different age groups, right? When I work with newborns, it's very much about educating and just very gently, you know, watching the timing, watching the stimulation, because obviously when they're so young, they get overstimulated, they get overtired really easily, and trying to get, start off on a good foot, right? And preventing kind of those bad behaviors. Once um, we reach kind of that three to four month mark in age, our body clock begins to form. So prior to that, um, our sleep is really unorganized we have a lot of deep sleep and you know a lot of not <laughs> deep sleep as well if you've ever had a newborn um, but then after that three to four month mark once our body clock is established we start to form sleep cycles so a sleep cycle in an infant and in a child is about 45 minutes so 
we see a lot of times when babies are reliant on something external to fall asleep. So a good example or a couple examples of that would be um, nursing. So that was my thing. I was nursing my daughter to sleep, not knowing that that wasn't going to help her. Um, nursing bottles, sometimes using that to fall asleep. Sometimes soothers can be bad. Sometimes it's just parents rocking or, you know, patting bum or kind of helping them to fall asleep all the time. Every once in a while, it's not an issue, but if you're consistently helping your kids to fall asleep, then a lot of times they can't link sleep cycles. So what we see is we see short naps or we see frequent wakings at night where it might not be every 45 minutes per se, but you might see that they're just not linking those sleep cycles as much as they maybe should be. And a lot of times for, you know, new parents or even experienced parents, it doesn't matter what stage you're at in your parenting journey. Um, but when our kids wake frequently at night, um, we automatically assume that it's because they're hungry, right? Because of course, in the first months of life, that's our main job, right? Is to feed them make sure they're growing but then we get to a certain point you know after maybe six months around 15 pounds a healthy baby should really be sleeping through the night um, and of course there's always circumstances that doesn't allow for that so you know that's just kind of a general guideline to use but um, after that point you know when I work with babies that are kind of eight to ten months and are waking up five times a night I can you know usually bet that it's not because they're hungry that it's because they have an external association and instead of being able to link those sleep cycles and just fall back asleep, um, you know, just like you and I would, because adults wake multiple times a night too. We just don't remember it because all we do is we grab our pillow, grab our blanket, roll back over and fall back asleep. So when a baby is dependent on something external, like, you know, mine was on me, then instead of falling back asleep, she calls for me. And as a good parent, you go running and, you know, assist your baby. But all we're doing is we're kind of putting the band-aid back on, right? We're just helping them in that moment, but we're not really, you know, solving the problem, the underlying problem. So, um, you know, when I work with toddlers and older kids, it's, it's usually different issues. It's often, um, you know, that the parents have to lay with them in order for them to fall asleep. And then that's just kind of the same thing. Then they have trouble when they wake up in the middle of the night and then our parents are gone, right? Because they'll lay with them until they fall asleep and then the parents sneak out and then the kid wakes up and thinks, well, where'd you go? And then of course, you know, they call and then we repeat that process. So um, it's really rewarding, like I said before, because especially with the toddler kids, because they really um, learn their own independent way of sleeping and it really gives them control. We all love to have control over ourselves, right? And so it's really this empowering process where these toddlers can learn to love sleep. And um, yeah, like I said, it's really, really rewarding, um, you know, to kind of be able to adjust those behaviors. With kids, it happens really quickly. Like when I work with my infant clients, it's usually two weeks and we have completely changed everything. You know, within three days, babies are learning how to fall asleep on their own. And then I usually spend the next week and a half just kind of manicuring it and making sure that our timing's good, that the naps are going well and things like that. And then when I work with kind of the older kids, we'll often work together for about three weeks because it takes just a little bit longer to sometimes undo those behaviors and really adjust, you know, their, their sleep. So, um, and then versus adults, adults, it can take sometimes four to six weeks, right? And it's not that you won't see improvement right away. Way. It's just that a lot of times those behaviors are so ingrained in us that it can just take a little bit longer to kind of get back to, to square one where your body is just enjoying sleep and easily falling asleep every night. Yeah, that's really interesting because I just would have assumed that would have taken a lot longer in order to see those changes. Mm -hmm. And mm -hmm. that's probably really reassuring for anyone that's listening to this that might have a little one that needs help that, you know, 
perhaps two to three weeks, you may see quite a bit of improvement, which yeah. is amazing if you're like in the thick of it, right? right? I know people don't often believe me and, and fair enough because they're living this, this horrible process, you know, when they talk to me and I kind of explain it all. And um, I know I've had people, I've had some great testimonials where they start off by saying, I was skeptical. I did not think this was going to work. And those are my favorite ones really because, because it does. And I just love, and it works really every time, you know, there's been a couple of kind of extenuating circumstances where there's been, you know, health issues or things like that, where it hasn't worked maybe quite as perfect as all the other ones, but like 99% of the time it works well within even just a few days and we see this life change. And it really just boils down to, again, that they want to sleep, right? It's our body's desire and need to sleep. So those other things that are um, kind of affecting our ability are just clouding it all. So as soon as we can set them up for success and straighten them out and really just align their body with what they need, they do start to sleep well. So yeah, it's a miracle. And that's part of why I was so inspired to do it because we saw such quick results and then to, you know, to be able to show other people that too. It's just, yeah, it's really inspiring. Yeah, that's amazing. And one thing I was thinking about too, when you're talking about working with infants, I know probably a lot of that work is actually working with the parents themselves because they're the ones that are putting them to bed and um, those kids can't necessarily communicate through words yet. But when it comes to those, you know, toddlers and older kids, how involved are the kids in the process of like learning these new sleep habits? Yeah, great question. Um, I try and get them as involved as possible, honestly. So sometimes I go to their home and, you know, we kind of engage with the child as well. Um, I always do like a little coloring book, which is more just like a sleep education. I tailor it to the kid and put their name on it. And um, it kind of, you know, walks them through the process. And um, we do sleep routine charts and we do prizes and kind of like a reward consequence system. And it's really so that we can empower the children to understand that sleep is good that we need to sleep and just how how it works so yeah it's really neat working with the older kids because I always say we're not we're not pulling the wool over their eyes right we're not trying to trick them into sleeping we're really empowering them to understand how important this is and then they start to see the changes too right so they start to feel good they start to wake up not so cranky you know and they start to make note of that obviously the older kids at least maybe not the young ones but um, and then just like us as adults, that's, that's more inspiring to continue. So yeah, it's, uh, it's really fun working with the older kids. I like all ages, don't get me wrong, but it's just a bit of a different process when you can kind of um, empower the kids to, to sleep better. That's amazing. Cause I think teaching those habits at a young age will obviously serve them well growing up. Exactly. And I think that just goes with like anything too. I think that goes with food yeah. choices and yep. right. Movement. It's, it's yep. empowering them to make those choices for themselves and then they'll realize how great they feel when they do make those choices. Well, really, if you go through your whole life, you know, eating fast food and junk food, and then, you know, when you hit your 20s, you realize that that was maybe a bad idea, that's going to be a hard change versus if you grow up your whole life knowing that sleep's important, that healthy food's important, that movement's important, then it's just natural. Um, Yeah, so I I completely agree on that point. Yeah, that's great. Now, I kind of want to shift things to adults because I feel like a lot of people listening are obviously adults and maybe they are, you know, mothers or fathers and have young ones. But I feel like a lot of us could probably work on our sleep habits. And even for people that 
you know, sleep well, quote unquote, there's probably things that they can improve. And I know when you spoke to my group coaching program, there were things that you were sharing that were so interesting that I did not know about. And I know I was talking to the group members after, and there were so many, like, just little nuggets of information that we all took away. So I would love for you to share some of those. I have some of them written down, um, kind of high level, like, you know, talking about like stress and, mm-hmm. you know, sleep foods. I thought that was super interesting as a nutritionist. Yeah, really. Like and, that. you know, obviously things like movement and gratitude, like it's not just, you know, shutting down at night and avoiding screens, which is obviously important, but yeah. there's so many other things that you've spoke to that were really impactful, I mm-hmm. found. Good. Well, thank you. I'll take that yeah. compliment. I appreciate yes. it. So yeah, I'm happy to kind of shed some light on and a lot of the stuff that I talk about, it, you know, it can be common sense, but we don't really understand kind of the, the science behind it yeah. and what's actually happening in our body and our body's response to it. So I'll start off with stress because I find that that's a big one. Um, and I'll kind of cover off the, the top few first okay. um, that are really obviously applied to the most people. So, um, you know, stress. Our lives are stressful naturally, whether you have kids or you don't have kids, it doesn't matter. Our lives are really stressful. We push, push, push ourselves. And And, um, you know, one of the things actually, I'll maybe back up a little bit and give kind of like a little sleep 101, because I find that the history of sleep is really interesting. And it obviously kind of applies to to this, even when I'm talking about stress. So, um, you know, one of the things that maybe a lot of people don't know is our sleep has changed over the years. So with the invention of the light bulb, some almost 150 years ago now, um, uh, we slept very differently. You know, we physically, when I say we, it's the royal, we obviously, I wasn't alive under. 50 years ago, but our ancestors and physically we worked harder. Um, you know, we weren't as sedentary. We were moving a lot more. We actually physically tired ourselves out, maybe physically more than we do now. And people would go to bed a lot earlier because we didn't have light. So they would, you know, have their family time together and then shut down. And of course, it's not that they needed 12 hours of sleep at that time. So what would happen is they would have a sleep one and a sleep two with this wakeful period in the middle. And the wakeful period, um, it was really relaxing. It was actually an enjoyable period. I always explain that, you know, a lot of times that's when doctors would suggest that people try to procreate if they were having issues, um, you know, with fertility and and creating a baby. And it was really quite a nice time because it was expected. You know, when we think about waking in the night now, it almost is stress inducing. It's just this horrible, and it happens to me too. I don't wake often in the night, but when I do, I'm frustrated. Within one minute, I'm like, why am I awake? I don't want to be awake you know and you kind of instantly are thinking that those thoughts so it was really different and that was very relaxed with the invention of the light bulb people could work more and so spawned the industrial revolution as we know um, where people could physically work 24 hours a day and the perception on sleep really shifted and sleep started to take the back burner because time was money, you know, people were so motivated to work and make money that sleep wasn't as much of a necessity anymore, as much as it obviously was, um, it wasn't in their mind. So that perception shift has really carried forward over all these years, because obviously we still revolve around money, that's still kind of the basis of life, it seems like, unfortunately. Um, So people still don't respect sleep maybe as much as they should. So in comes stress, right? We are so stressed out. Um, We're just so busy. And the thing with stress is that it 
there's an optimal level of stress, right? We have you know, stress usually gets a bad rap. We talk about how stressed out we are. Um, you know, you just think of it in such a negative way, but stress isn't actually negative. It's a, it's a body's response to the situation. So um, when we think of, I usually show like a stress curve, because when we think of not having any stress in our life, you know, we're kind of lame, we're kind of um, unmotivated, we're not really doing anything with our lives. You know, you maybe think of um, some people that come to mind that just don't have a lot kind of pushing them to get anything done. And then as we work up the stress curve we get to that peak performance and I always compare the peak performance to you know when you maybe have an assignment due or you have something coming up and you know you're pretty prepared for it but you still have a couple more things to do and then you can just nail it out and it goes really well and you get it done and you feel great and that's the peak performance but then when we get over that on the stress curve and we start to get into over stress where we start to burn out we start to get sick disease starts to set in and we have too much stress in our lives that's the point where it's starting to affect our sleep too because our body is compensating if you remember going back to you know I think it was in um, elementary school where we learn about that fight or flight response right the bear in the in the forest and how our body responds to that so our body's response to stress is to to survive so a lot of times um, in those modes we're filled with cortisol and adrenaline and those great you know useful hormones but again if we're kind of acting at a really high stress level consistently throughout the day then we have a lot of those stress hormones in our bloodstream so then when it comes time to wind down and go to sleep um, unfortunately those stress hormones are the opposite of melatonin so our body just cannot produce the same levels of melatonin which we need to be able to sleep in order to you know have a good night's sleep so what I like to point out is that it takes about an hour for our body to come down from one stressful event so again if you only have one stressful event in your day then it's probably not a factor for you and your sleep but if you're running at a high stress job or just a high stress life then that is definitely something to consider so you know my suggestion and it's just like anybody else's um, probable suggestion for this would be to take a break right um, get outside get some natural sunlight walk around eat a good snack um, and just give your mind a few minutes sometimes people take a few deep breaths right they just push their chair away from their desk um, you know close their eyes for a couple of minutes even like five minutes of deep breathing or even just a few can really help to decrease your stress levels so being able to do that you know every hour every couple hours can really lower your stress levels so that at the end of the day when you finally had a chance to wind down your stress levels are lower as well um, and I always kind of put in a little point in there about your phone so um, and I'm guilty of this too so by no means am I preaching but sometimes we feel like we're like oh I need to take a break I just need to give myself a couple minutes and what do we do we pick up our phone right and we'll go on social media or we'll read the news and totally. fortunately it's not really lowering our stress levels right you get on there and you, whether you're comparing yourself to other people on social media or you're reading the news you know what 90% of the news is not good news as we know so you know just just remember that, that that's not really a true break for your mind if you're on you know your phone or even reading the news or something like that so just taking those breaks can be really helpful um, so one other thing I like to talk about is artificial stimulation. So artificial light and just kind of that stimulation. We were just talking about our phone, so it's a natural segue into that. Um, again, we hear a lot about blue light um, and blue light is harmful. It's actually, I read a study not too long ago um, from an optometrist saying that uh, blue light, our phones are making us blind. <laughs> and you know how attention grabbing headlines are. So it was maybe a bit dramatic, but really when you think about it, um, if you think of the spectrum of light, blue light, 
bright white light, green light, those are the brightest colors. So when you have, and you can experiment with this yourself, you can probably even, it'll recall as I'm talking about it, but if your bedroom is dark, and your phone goes off, um, your whole room is lit up. Or even if you have a pin size blue light in your room and it's flashing, you can see it. It just lights up your room because it's such a bright light. So the issue isn't necessarily light. Yes, we're surrounded by artificial light, which is part of why we sleep so differently now versus 150 years ago. Um, but it is really the blue light and the bright white LED lights that are affecting our melatonin levels. And we can just, we cannot produce the same level of melatonin when that light is entering our eyes. Um, so watching what type of light you have in your house, what type of light you have in your bedroom, you know, obviously turning off again, you know, like, and this is common sense. I know everybody talks about reducing screen time. Um, and it's accurate because a lot of us spend the whole day, you know, in front of our computer and then we go home and we get in front of our turn on the TV and then we're checking our phone and, you know, we're never really giving our eyes a break. And you can buy blue blocking lights, um, sorry, blue blocking sunglasses, blue blocking screens and all that stuff. And it's certainly gonna help. Um, but the other aspect of that is just the stimulation, right? There's not a lot of point in our day, if that's what we're doing, where we're not stimulating our mind and our eyes. And so it's, you know, it's about the light, but it's also about that stimulation and just having to take a break. So my suggestion for that is usually what we call the power down hour. Um, and it's really just a time for self-compassion and just doing some things that you maybe wouldn't normally do. Like I have a stack of magazines that I never seem to read and I'm interested in them, but you know, I'll end up watching TV and then falling. In. I'm a good sleeper, so I can kind of get away with these things a little bit more. But when you're not sleeping well, you really need to take some time to unwind and give yourself that break. Because if you go to bed and it's taking you a long time to fall asleep, there's a good chance that it's because of the things that are leading up to when you're going into bed. So power down hour, just, you know, 30 to 60 minutes before you go to bed, I would dim the lights. I would do some things that are really very low stimulation, um, you know, try not to be on your phone, try not to watch TV. I suggest not even having TVs in your bedroom, if I can be honest, um, for a couple of different reasons, but just giving yourself some time to enjoy um, preparing for bed and, you know, having kind of a bedtime routine. So um, yeah, that's another thing that I would recommend. Those are a lot of great tips too, just in that alone. I think, like you said, I, people hear about blue light it's being talked about a lot more often, just yeah. how much we are on screens, but mm -hmm. people don't really understand the reason why we shouldn't be, you know, on these devices all the time. And then also the point too that you brought up, it's not just even about the blue light, it's about mm -hmm. the stimulation mm -hmm. from it. Like, it's so easy to want to use that winding down time of your evening to go on your phone and to mm -hmm. watch TV when that might actually be overstimulating your mind before you go to bed, right? Right. And there's so much negativity in our world. So if we think yeah. about what we're taking in and, you know, even our kids, right. And that's why a lot of times our teenagers and stuff, you know, it's the same suggestion because how hard is it already for them, you know, to kind of weed out the bad information, right? Like yeah. as adults, sometimes we, we know the difference between kind of reality and just the drama that we, that we've seen over our lives. But um, there's so much negativity, even some of the shows that we watch you know yeah. if you think of some of those drama shows and like it can be really negatively affecting us and so then when we go into bed you know it can spur bad dreams and it can just make it really difficult for us to fall asleep because of the content that we're taking in prior to going down to bed so yeah. 
yeah, I try and keep it light and airy. It's not that you can't enjoy those shows, just maybe not right before you're going into bed. And I think it's interesting too, because I think about when I was a teenager and I would have had Facebook, but I didn't have data on my phone or anything like that. Whereas now teenagers, they have like Instagram and Facebook. Well, they probably don't even use Facebook. I don't think that's cool anymore, but (laughs) they have their devices on them all the time. And they're always looking at this stuff where, I mean, not like it was great when I was in high school, but at least, you know, I wasn't on my phone all day because that wasn't an option then. So I feel like a lot has even changed over the years for, you know, teenagers and even kids. Yeah. There's a lot of pressure. I know there was um, a a sleep conference out in Vancouver a few months ago. And uh, one of the speakers was talking about our teens and our, in that age group. Mm -hmm. And um, a lot of them feel that they can't turn their phone off at night because they're going to miss out on something. And when you're not available to kind of act like that, there's this social pressure and it creates anxiety. So, you know, we already know with our teens, they're facing an overwhelming amount of anxiety and kind of stress in these social situations. And then, yeah, our phones are just adding into that. So it's having a huge impact on their sleep because, and you know what, actually adults are really bad for it um, as well, where they wake, I think the for adults, it's 25% of adults were responding to messages in the middle of the night and 36% of teens were waking up in the middle of the night to respond to messages. Wow. Just such a, like, I know it's maybe not a massive, um, percentage but still like over a quarter of the people are ruining their sleep and interrupting their sleep just to kind of then stimulate their mind and their eyes with this light so yeah it's 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 sad and scary in a lot of ways too but obviously you know things can be done about it it's just a matter of shifting our kind of mindset around it which is not necessarily easy but absolutely and another thing that I also find interesting about the artificial light is when you talked about even white light, which is something that we're exposed to all day, right? I mean, we think about our screens and our devices emitting that blue light, but we also have to think about all the other artificial light that we're exposed to. And I was kind of, I know you mentioned, I think it was when we were talking earlier that, is it orange and red light is a little bit? Yeah, right. Thanks. I didn't actually finish that thought. So yeah, I appreciate you bringing that up. So um, as we go on the opposite side of the spectrum, yeah, we're looking at kind of the the yellow. So the soft yellow is probably the easiest on our eyes. And then getting into yeah, orange and red, I would say are the next best. So, um, you know, if you have a clock in your room, um, you know, have the red light clock and versus the green or the blue, which is so common. And, you know, even when we talk about products for sleep, how many of them use blue light? It's infuriating really? as somebody that works with sleep. You know, I see all these baby products and they're blue lights. And even the products for adults, there's blue light. And we're thinking, why are you promoting blue light <laughs> when you're promoting sleep? Like they're the exact opposite. So yeah, so I would definitely suggest, you know, the red or the soft yellows. And, you know, it doesn't mean you have to go and change all your light bulbs. You know, LED lights are obviously better for um, the environment because they use less energy. Um, but you can get soft yellow ones as well. So even if you don't want to change, obviously, all your lights in your house, I would focus on the ones in your bedroom or kind of in your living areas, right? Where, um, you know, if you're not in your kitchen, that late at night then that's fine you can have bright lights in there and then turn those off and then move to kind of the softer yellow lights as the night progresses so that your melatonin levels can naturally build up um 
you know, if you don't mind, I might take a tangent there to talk about melatonin for a sec because melatonin is a natural thing that we produce in our body. And certainly some people do produce less of it where, you know, melatonin supplements might be helpful, but there's a bit of an epidemic in North America with this melatonin product um, as kind of like a quote unquote natural sleep aid. And it is natural in that our body produces it. The problem is um, when we take melatonin as a supplement, there's some, so there's no long-term studies on it, right? Cause it's a fairly new product. So there's no um, kind of n- knowledge of the purity. 70% of melatonin doesn't actually meet the standards that they say on the box, which is really sad. Um, not surprising maybe because it's a natural product. It doesn't have to meet the same kind of FDA standards. So um, we see a lot of issues with melatonin in that once we take too much of it, our body builds up a resilience to it and we stop producing it as much. So it's not just as easy as taking melatonin every night and being able to sleep well, because what can happen is then there's long-term effects of that. So, um, you know, I think with any sleep aids and sleeping pills, melatonin included in that, again, short-term use is fine. If you have jet lag or if there's say a death in the family or a really stressful event in your life and you just need a little bit of help falling asleep, there's nothing wrong with taking something. It's just really the long-term use and the use in kids. Um, that's kind of one of the things I like to touch on. Again, there are certain circumstances where doctors suggest giving melatonin, um, but a lot of times really it should not be used. Um, when they use it, so they test on animals, and they actually have been using it for years in animals to increase reproduction. And so what they're seeing now is that um, use in children is affecting our reproductive organs. So children are hitting puberty earlier or having kind of issues with their reproductive organs. So um, again, this is all really early information because there's no long-term studies on the use, um, but these are kind of things that the doctors are warning us against the use of melatonin. So I just like to speak on it because it's really a hot topic right now, um, taking melatonin supplements and because it's kind of natural, like we talked about, um, you know, people think it's okay and it's safe. So I just like to speak on that for just a second. So no, for sure. And I, I understand that too, because as a nutritionist, of course, there's so many Mm -hmm. different supplements that people can take. And so obviously some of them are fantastic, but there's ones that can cause a lot of harm to your body if you're not taking it properly or you're taking it too much. So just because something is natural doesn't necessarily mean that it's good for you specifically as well. Like everyone's different, right? So that's another thing to be mindful of. Right. And we have really different regulations here in North America. So I'm sure, again, you probably see this too um, with the supplement industry, but like everywhere except pretty much Canada and the US, you need a prescription for melatonin. So it's really alarming that Mm -hmm. here in North America, you can just go and get it. And again, we don't know the dosage, we don't know the purity. And um, so, yeah, I'm sure you see similar with, you know, nutritional supplements and yeah, it's a bit scary. Yeah, for sure. And obviously with so much information online, you know, people will read something and be like, oh, like, I think I actually am low in iron, which I mean, can be quite common. And obviously there's blood work that can help, like help you show whether or not you're low in iron, but those supplements can be pretty hard on your body. So if you're not taking the right one, you might be experiencing some adverse effects just as, you know, maybe taking melatonin for a prolonged period of time or, you know, if a child takes it, it can also create, you know, some issues down the road. So it's just important to note, I think, to people that, you know, make sure you reach out to a professional who can help direct you, 
you know, to the right products, the right brands, um, and then really, I mean, in your case, get down to like the root issue, which is more of the behavioral aspect. Yeah, right. I know we talk about, and I even said it earlier, like information is power, but sometimes we're so informed, like overly informed, yes. right? Where we, where we feel like we know what is best for us. And yeah, sometimes even with sleep, you know, people ask me about sleep gadgets, right? Sleep trackers and our smart watches and stuff like that, that really track our sleep. And um, I was working with a woman not too long ago where she was tracking her sleep and um, she would, she would wake up in the morning feeling like she had a good sleep, but then she would check her tracker and it would say that she didn't have a good sleep. So then her perception was, Oh, I had a bad sleep last night. And you know, information isn't always accurate. So, you know, I, I kept having to kind of come back to, well, how do you feel? How do you feel like you slept aside from what your phone told you or your, her was uh, an Apple watch, but um, you know, and we, yeah, we sometimes kind of pollute our mind with all this information and it really just changes our perception on really what we should be focusing on. So yeah, you're right. Yeah. Now in terms of gadgets, this is, I mean, I guess it's related to sleep, but I have one of those, I just recently got like one of those lamps slash alarm clocks that like <laughs> basically mimics like the sun rising. Oh, cool. Yeah. I know. Okay. Yeah. Do you know much about those? Because I didn't really do much research. I just knew that I'm not someone who loves the winter mm -hmm. and I love waking up when it's like sunny, like in the yeah. summer, I don't even need an alarm clock. I will wake up before my alarm and be like good to go. But I find that when it's dark in the morning, it's, I feel like my whole sleep cycle gets a little wonky. So I recently got one of these lamps that kind of turns on slowly and increases yeah, the light really cool. up until my alarm goes off. Right. Yeah. Yeah. They can be really helpful. Um, so there's something and I, I usually don't get into the details um, kind of on calls like this because I want to uh, make sure I'm giving all the information, but light therapy is really calm, a really common use when people have what we call like a circadian rhythm deficiency or disorder, mm -hmm. sorry, where um, their body clock is just off. And we see that a lot in the winter, right? With like the sad and stuff like that, where people just, it's, it's, it's totally relevant. It happens to a lot of us, right? Where it's really hard to get up it's hard to get motivated the sun really gives us happiness in a lot of ways and energy as we know so yeah they can be really helpful you just want to make sure that you're using it within the right times right because okay. if you're you know trying to go to bed at midnight and then having your your fake sun come up at 6 a.m <laughs> it's probably not going to help too much because okay. you're just not getting enough sleep right but no they're really cool how they kind of mimic um the natural light and you know they're usually kind of the softer lights which is what we want yeah. versus you know kind of the bright white um but they really can help to kind of improve our mood um i worked with a man in kuwait actually and um he needed to get up for um, prayer times depending on certain times of the year and mm -hmm. um so we use some light therapy with him to try and help his body to wake up at a more natural time and again he had to go to bed obviously at a different time um but it really helped with the darkness of you know especially what we're experiencing Right now it gets dark so early and then having that light come up kind of more naturally um earlier so yeah that's neat that you have one how long have you been using it for um probably only about a month and okay. i only use it when i like know that i like have to get up like if i can get away with like maybe you know sleeping in that extra half hour i typically can get up pretty easily but sometimes i just find it nice when that alarm goes off to have that like light it's and it kind of illuminates the room without it being obnoxious exactly so, like my yeah. husband doesn't notice it 
I like the light doesn't like necessarily like it's not like waking me up but it's just nice that when I do open my eyes my alarm goes off like there's some light in the room yeah. if that makes sense and it's yeah. like I'm not like crawling to try to like find yeah. like, the door or anything like that so I just find that that alone is just nicer to have yeah yeah it's more welcoming to wake up to right Absolutely. versus the darkness that we're experiencing right now sure yeah and the cold yeah <laughs> yeah and I when you were talking about artificial light and mentioned that like you know the yellows and the orange and reds are softer I was like okay that makes me feel better because it's like a orangey yellowy kind of Perfect. light that it emits so I'm like all right, maybe this gadget isn't so bad because I. So it's actually a good sleep product. Hooray! Yeah, I know. I was like, okay, that makes me feel better because I yeah. didn't put that much research into it. Yeah. I just ordered off Amazon. I was like, well, let's hope for the best on this one. Yeah, no, it sounds like you have a good product there. Yeah. Okay, good. Cool. That yeah, makes me feel better. Uh, so, what other like key habits do you typically see that are an issue with adults? Yeah. So one, and again, I kind of talked on it kind of previously with our, our different lifestyle prior to, uh, mm-hmm. you know, now where we moved a lot and, you know, you know, a ton about nutrition and that and eating well. And I won't talk a lot about that because most of us know about caffeine and the effects on sleep and alcohol. And, you know, as much as it makes us feel drowsy, it actually doesn't help us to sleep. Um, nicotine can be a stimulant, um, but really food and diet, or sorry, it's food and movement um, really contribute to our, our sleep. And unfortunately, a lot of us don't get enough movement in a day. And what that does naturally is it doesn't allow our body to be tired enough to sleep well. So if you compare, um, you know, and it's not a perfect study, but if you compare people that physically work hard during the day, they often have more time in deep sleep because their body needs to restore itself. It needs to take care and do all those processes that happen when we're in those deep stages of sleep versus somebody where, you know, they're maybe working on a computer or working at a desk for most of the day. So my suggestion is to really look at how much are you moving? And there was a study out of uh, University of Minnesota where um, they actually compared having 30 minutes, so not even a lot of time, but 30 minutes of movement a day was just as helpful as some sleeping pills. And it was able to allow them to sleep, fall asleep half an hour faster and sleep almost an hour longer over the course of a night. And that was just through movement and just 30 minutes a day. And I like to use the word movement because versus like exercise, because some people naturally exercise isn't a part of their lifestyle and that's fine. But movement needs to be a part of everybody's lifestyle. You know, whether you're a kid or an adult or even a senior, you need to move. The people that are living to a hundred years old, guess what they're doing every day? moving their body. Um, and it's just so important for us. So, you know, what my suggestion is just the bare bones, 30 minutes a day, it can be as much as walking. It doesn't have to be, you know, a fitness class or going for a run or anything like that. But if you can get out and walk um, and even breaking it up, right? Even if you can't, if you don't have half an hour to spare every day, if you can get out three times and walk, you know, around your building or take those breaks and just move your body and, you know, try and get to a good where your heart's beating, right? You're not just kind of sauntering along. Um, but again, it doesn't have to be kind of vigorous exercise. We just need you to move your body. Um, and that can really, really contribute to a good sleep too. So um, between, you know, having a good diet and eating well, um, carbs um you know again you're in the kind of food industry so you know you know a lot about carbs and then carbs over the years depending on what fad diet you're following they get a bad rap 
Um, and, you know, it kind of boils down to what type of carbs are you taking in? You know, are they good carbs or bad carbs, simple or complex? And, you know, the complex ones are really important. We need those um, in order for us to produce, you know, kind of, again, those melatonin and serotonin and, and for us to be able to sleep well. So, you know, cutting out and having a really low carb diet. I had a chat with a lady in the summer and she doesn't eat any carbs and she really doesn't sleep well. And a lot of times our body goes into starvation mode in the middle of the night and panics and wakes up because we don't have enough calories to do all of the functions that we need to do in the middle of the night. So uh, an alarm from our brain goes from to our body to wake us up saying, you're starving, you need to do something about it. And of course, we can kind of override it and say, no, no, we're fine. We're not starving and maybe fall back asleep. But sometimes you don't. And it's just because your body thinks that it needs more calories. And often it's because it does. So, um, you know, complex carbs can really help you to sleep well. Um, you know, I'm not saying have a massive pasta dinner at 10 p.m. at night because that probably will have an opposite effect. But, um, you know, making sure that you're getting those is going to be important for your sleep. So. Yeah. Um, and I think you brought up a couple like good points. There's, I like how you say movement, because that's something I've been trying to say more in my practice as well. Because I think it just makes it seem a little bit more attainable, you know, yeah, to just get out yeah. and walking is amazing. I don't think people realize mm -hmm. that like when people say exercise, like that can also include going for a walk outside yeah. it doesn't mean you outside to do too, yeah. training like or like lifting heavy weights which I mean those things can also be great and mm -hmm. if you do those that's fantastic but I mean you don't need to be intimidated by like the word yeah. like exercise or movement because it can be something as simple as going for a walk or doing mm -hmm. some yoga and light stretching, right? Exactly. Yeah. Just moving your body and yeah, exactly. Getting it over that seated position that we're, we're in unfortunately so much now. And I like that you said outside because, um, you know, the middle of the day and obviously we are seasons shift here in Canada, but, um, the middle of the day is often when the sun is the strongest and it can really help to anchor our body clock. So, you know, kind of like you were talking about with having a hard time in the morning with the, the seasons changing and stuff, you know, if we can get out and walk, or do a bit of movement outside in the middle of the day it really helps to anchor our body clock knowing that this is the middle of the day and then it allows us to sleep better at night so yeah there's so many benefits to just being outside and you know I I used to play sports and well, I still do but not as um, regularly and but what I do is I walk I take my kids to school we are always out walking and um, you know it just gives me one the the movement and kind of the energy from that but I just find being outside with the fresh air the sun shining like it just it does a lot of good for your body and your mind and yeah it's very powerful for sure and this is kind of off topic to what we we're talking about in terms of like the nutrition and carbs but it just made me think about how we've obviously just recently had a time change mm -hmm. and it gets dark so much earlier in the evening mm -hmm. and I find that <laughs> I was like so confused like the first few days because I'm like oh like I should probably be making dinner soon. Like, <laughs> yeah. and then I like look at, I'm like, oh, it's 445. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, really, right. No, or no. like, oh, it's probably time for me to go to bed. Like, because my body just thinks that. And then yeah. I look at the clock and I'm like, nope, it's 8 p.m. That's <laughs> a little too early for me. So, yeah. I mean, do you have any like tips for people that are sensitive to, you know, the changes with like the time? And then of course it being darker earlier, because it, I'm assuming that can really impact that, sleep cycle. 
Yeah. Yeah, it definitely does. The, the time change is a funny thing, as we know, it's um, been in place for quite a while and it's, um, there's a lot of people that are trying to advocate against it to get it changed so that it doesn't happen because it really wreaks havoc on our health. Um, the spring can often be even worse than the fall, but yeah, my suggestion is usually to um, kind of ease into it. So whether you do it proactively and, you know, the week leading up, you start to go to bed a little bit later, um, which seems counterproductive, but what you're trying to do is you're trying to go to bed a bit later so that when the time change happens, then you're kind of just back to ground, ground zero where they're going to bed at, so say, you know, if bedtime is normally 11 or yeah, I'll just use 11 for um, an easy number, then you want to kind of go to bed, you know, a little bit later so that when that Sunday comes, 12 p.m. is now 11 p.m., right? So you can kind of work yourself to that time so that once the time change happens, you're kind of back to a normal time. Um, and then if you don't do it proactively, there's nothing wrong with that. But then after the fact, you just want to really respect that you're going to be off for probably at least a week. Um, I found I was. I naturally wake around 6.30, um, probably with training of my kids over the years. They wake between 6.30 and 7 fairly consistently. And um, I was waking up at 5.30. And I was annoyed because, of course, even doing what I do, do. It's still annoying, of course. Um, and so what I did is I just stayed in bed. I didn't look at my phone. I didn't look at, well, I looked at the clock every once in a while, but I wouldn't look. I wouldn't turn the lights on. I wouldn't even get up. I would just try and lay there with my eyes closed and try and sleep. And it took me almost a week. Um, and then I started to wake naturally at 6.30 again. Um, and then I, you know, I like to sleep. So every once in a while I'd go to bed. Like last night, I think I was in bed by 9.30. Um, and it was because I hadn't had a great sleep a couple nights ago because we had a surprise party for my mom. And, you know, you just get off. So I just respected the fact that I was tired. My body needed to sleep. And I think I slept, you know, almost nine hours that night. So it was great and totally worth it. So just listen to your body. I was going to say like, of course, you know, creating a consistent sleep schedule, I'm assuming is really helpful, but yeah, I yeah. think listening to your body is also mm -hmm. key. And I, that even goes again with my practice with nutrition, mm -hmm. you know, your body is a lot smarter than you give it credit for. And it will give you signs when you need to do certain things yeah. like going to bed a little bit earlier than usual, you know, you just, you need it. You need to catch up. Yeah. Cause it's so easy to push through, right? Like I, I could have done it last night. I work for myself. So, you know, there's a never ending amount of work to do. So, yep. um, and I had been working and, um, you know, I did listen to my body, but it would have been easy to just be like, no, I just got to get these couple more things done. And then what happens is your body compensates, right? As we were talking about earlier, where it helps you survive, quote unquote, survive that moment and fills you full of cortisol and adrenaline. So in a lot of ways, if I had have pushed through that, I probably wouldn't have fallen asleep till after 11 because our, my body would have compensated to help me kind of stay awake. And then naturally my melatonin levels would have been lower. So yeah, it's really important to, to listen to your body and, and go to sleep when you need to sleep. And you know what, that might be um, a good segue into my, my last point, which is talking about napping. Um, I like to kind of speak on this because napping is not easy for a lot of people. And actually it was never easy for me either. I've been working on it for um, over a year now and I don't nap a lot. Don't get me wrong. Um, I don't have that much extra time, but everyone, once in a while, I get that lull in my day where I'm just like, holy cow, I am really tired. And it's really common for us. It's usually about eight hours after we wake up where we feel this dip in our body clock and we, we feel tired. And, you know, for most of us, we'll reach for a coffee or something like that. Obviously, I'd be, um, I'm not against coffee. I like coffee myself or, or caffeine. Um, but, you know, getting outside would be really helpful too. But napping is also really helpful, but you have to do it right. So 
knowing what we know about our body clock and our sleep cycles is really important when it comes to naps because an, adult, an average adult sleep cycle is 90 to 110 minutes long. So if we need to nap, it's really important that we either have a full sleep cycle. So if you have an hour and a half to spare and you need the sleep, then sleep for that long and that's great. But if you don't, which a lot of us don't have an hour and a half to kind of spare in the middle of the day, um, then I really encourage a power nap. And a power nap is about 30 minutes. So it takes us about 10 minutes to fall asleep. Um, after that point, then we're obviously entering the, um, you know, kind of the first sleep stage. And what the key is there is to wake up before you get into the deep sleep stage. So you want to kind of get through the first and second stage of sleep, but not enter the deeper stage of sleep and that REM state. So once you get into those deep sleep stages, um, you know, when we've all experienced that sleep inertia where your alarm goes off and you're in the middle of the dream or whatever, and you just feel bad, it's a bad feeling. And a lot of us have kind of a bad um, relationship with naps because we'll just fall asleep and then we'll, you know, maybe sleep an hour and then we wake up and you feel almost worse. It almost feels like it was less productive having a nap because you feel more tired than when you first went down. So I really encourage either a 30 or a 90 minute nap. And I do say set your alarm, um, lay down, you know, use those kind of positive affirmations that you'll be able to rest, um, that you'll be able to fall asleep. It's really easy for our subconscious mind to pull us out of a nap. Um, you know, how many times have you gone? You're like, yes, I'm going to go nap. Um, I have time. I'm going to make time, whatever it is. And then you lay down and you start to think of everything that you have to do. And it was a gazillion things that are on your to-do list. Um, and so what I always encourage people, because it happens to all of us, is to just try and talk yourself out of it. And remember that, you know, this rest will be really beneficial. All that stuff's going to wait for you that you'll probably be able to tackle it easier after you've had a nap rather than, you know, trying to do it when you're sleep deprived. Um, but remembering that the first stage of sleep is really light. So this is kind of my key point with falling asleep for naps is that the first stage of sleep is so light that you would actually argue that you're even asleep. And my example that I always use is um, I, I really remember well when my husband and I first met, uh, we would watch movies together at night and he's a bit of a night hawk and I'm a morning person. So I would often fall asleep watching a movie with him. And for the first little while, I would argue with him. He would call me out on it and I would say, no, I was not sleeping. Like you're crazy. And it wasn't until I realized, you know, over time that I was actually missing parts of the movie and that, yeah, sure enough, I was sleeping. But it's such a light stage of sleep that you really don't even remember realize you're sleeping. So a lot of times when those thoughts are coming into our mind, we're actually already sleeping. We just don't realize it because it's such a light stage of sleep. So just remind yourself that when those thoughts enter your mind, say, you know, I'm already sleeping. And again, I told you that it took me about a year to kind of perfect this. But now what happens is I still have those thoughts enter and I either say, it's okay, I'm just going to have a nice rest or I'm already sleeping. And I wake up 30 minutes later to my alarm. And it's such a cool thing to be able to accomplish that and really talk yourself through it. So yeah, naps can be great. Um, yeah, so I'm a huge promoter of naps if you have the time and need it. And I think that's really important because, I mean, I'm thinking from a personal standpoint, when you think about, okay, I'm going to take a nap, generally speaking, like I think most people are like, oh, I'll, I'll nap for like an hour. That just seems yeah, like, exactly. you know, I'll set my alarm from an hour from now. Yeah. But that's, you want it to be 30 or 90 minutes. Yeah, correct. exactly. Yeah. Get right yeah. through all the deep sleep or don't even enter it. Right. Yeah. That's so interesting because mm -hmm. I totally feel when I do that. And since I spoke to you last, I make sure 
but I haven't said it for the right. hour. <laughs> yeah. Um, I mean, I don't nap a ton, but it's just so funny because if I do and I wake up, my husband like laughs at me for like, honestly, like 10 minutes straight because it, I'm honestly like so groggy that I'm like a drunk person. Like, <laughs> yeah, right. I'm like, he's like, you're not even forming sentences right now. Like, yes, I like, no, like, you really are not. And like, you're like a zombie, like walking around. It takes me quite a while to come out of that. Yeah. Not like a very nice feeling. feeling. It's not, it's a horrible feeling. And yeah, yes. then it makes you feel like, why did I even nap? So yeah, there's definitely a right and a wrong way to nap as funny as that kind of sounds to say. Yeah. But yeah. Now, I'm just thinking, so when people are starting out and they're having those thoughts enter their mind, you know, it could be that they're lying there for like a long time, just thinking, mm -hmm. and then their alarm goes off and they're like, did I even like sleep that long? Like, do you just still recommend, you know, set it for the 30 or the 90, regardless of how long you're lying there thinking? Yeah, every once in a while I've done like 35 or 40 minutes. Okay. Um, if, because if you can... Like if you have that feeling where, wow, I'm tired, I need to sleep, yes. then you're probably going to be able to kind of talk yourself into it okay. and be able to fall asleep. If you're just like, oh, this is a really good time to nap, then it might take you longer to fall asleep, right? So you get your room dark, you kind of set the mood for the nap. And then sometimes I've set my alarm a little bit longer because I, I feel like it might take me a little bit longer to fall asleep. Um, but yeah, and I've had that happen too, where I'm like, I don't actually feel like I slept. Um, like I feel like I was awake for more of it and then what I do it because it takes practice sometimes but then you know I'm just content with the fact that I've given myself a break right because I'm right. not on my phone I'm not on my computer I'm not working I'm not physically stimulating my mind or my body so even a break sometimes can be helpful it's not you know maybe as beneficial as actually falling in asleep um, but it's still gonna be really helpful for yourself so I usually kind of have that positive spin on it if I feel like I didn't actually nap because then a half an hour is not really a big waste of your day right if you can have a half an hour rest so no. yeah I find that even just like laying down and closing my eyes for like that 30 minutes, even if I didn't really fall asleep, yeah. I feel so much better just not like forcing myself to try to get through like work. Yeah, exactly. It's just like taking that time to just like pause and like let your body just relax for a bit or sometimes it's that or sometimes it's going outside for a walk. But yeah, either exactly. way, I just find that like 30 minutes away from my screen or mm. doing like other work can be so beneficial. Yeah, I agree. I feel the same way which is really hard, I find, for myself, because I think it's been so ingrained in us that you have to work the nine to five minimum, plus, you know, you know, there's like that pride in working like 60 plus hours. Yep. <laughs> so right? true. Yeah. So I mean, I'm, and like, I know we've talked about this, like, we're not saying like nap like multiple times a day or anything like that. But I think it, you know, it's just to say that it's okay if your body feels like it needs to nap every once in a while. Yeah, exactly. And it doesn't make you unproductive or lazy. Or lazy. I know that's the biggest thing, right? People feel like they're lazy or people feel like other people will think they're lazy because they need to sleep. And I don't know, I'm obviously a huge promoter of sleep, so I don't feel that way, but I think that's just funny. <laughs> I think they're just jealous. <laughs> yeah, they're like, oh, I only got like five hours of sleep last night. And you're like, it's a badge of honor for some people. Yeah, which mm -hmm. I mean, I'm not even blaming those people because I think it has been ingrained yeah. in so many of us that like working an extreme amount of hours like is again it's like that busy kind of badge of honor that people 
have. Yeah. It's that perception of our sleep, right? Yep, exactly. Mm-hmm. You know, probably taking a break and sleeping properly will actually make you more productive. Exactly. It's like, you know, you can work 35 hours a week, you know, standard hours and get so much more done than working 60 hours. And burning like, out. Right? Mm-hmm. Exactly. Because everybody can do it for a short amount of time. Um, but, you know, eventually you kind of meet that point where you burn out or you, you meet that break. So, yeah, exactly. Absolutely. Well, I know there's just so much more that you can hear with people, but um, I just want to thank you so much for taking the time to speak to my audience. And there's just so much great information. And, you know, I know that if they want to learn more, we can share where they can find you. And um, maybe if you want to share your, your social media, like Instagram handle, um, I can also put all the information in the description too. Yeah, sure. Yeah. Um, my business is called bedtime beginnings because I believe everything starts with your bedtime. So, um, I'm on Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, you know, all the, the normal places. Um, my website is just bedtimebeginnings.com. Um, and yeah, I always offer, um, free 15 minute assessment calls and it's really because, you know, I truly believe if I can solve all of your problems in 15 minutes, there would be no need to hire me anyways. And sometimes (laughs) people just need just that extra, you know, sounding board or somebody to talk to and kind of brainstorm about. So yeah, I'm really happy to kind of chat with people. I really truly believe the world would be a better place if everybody slept a little bit more. So it's just my goal in life to help people sleep better. So thank you so much for having me. I appreciate being able to kind of chat about this and spread some sleep love, as I like to say. Thank you so much for tuning into today's episode. If you could take the time to rate and review, that would be greatly appreciated. If you leave a review, then I will enter you into a draw and I will announce the winner next week. The winner will receive a copy of the Holistic Wellness Roadmap ebook that includes close to 200 pages in content and healthy recipes. But before you sign off, I wanna ask if you've ever wanted to make changes to your health and wellness, but have felt overwhelmed or confused. Let's stop this overwhelm and make healthy eating, cooking, and living easier and more fun. Head over to simplynicknutrition.com and go to the freebies page to get started on your wellness journey. Thank you again for tuning in, and I hope this episode provides value and that you are inspired to live a healthier, happier, and more balanced life.